Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're starting 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll be looking at the first 11 verses this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in the midst of sorrow and disappointment and challenge, confusion, that you're our Father, that you're the Father of mercy, the God of all comfort. I know that many are going through trial this morning, and I ask that you would take us into deeper understanding, deeper fellowship that you're our Father, to be able to receive comfort. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians is the most personal of Paul's letters. It's the most autobiographical. He shares more of his challenges, more of his struggles, more of his difficulties. Because of that, it's one of my favorites of his epistles. We see more of his heart. The reason for it is because the church of Corinth has started to doubt and mistrust his leadership. Starting to look to some false teachers and false apostles And Paul could have easily have gone, you know, I've invested, I've invested, I've invested. Now the end of this investment is they don't trust me. I'm going to punt. I'm going to move on. But instead, he chooses to press in and share his heart even more. I don't know if you've ever walked alongside someone and done your best to try to love them and serve them. And you can never do it perfectly, but you've done the best that you can to invest in their lives. And at the end of that, they see you as someone who has damaged them instead of helped them. That's the position that Paul finds himself in, and he's trying to rebuild or regain that trust with the church of Corinth. In this introduction to the letter, Paul reminds the church of God's comfort, sharing how he's received God's comfort in his life in the challenges that he's faced. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church which is at Corinth with all the saints who are in all of Achaia. If you were with us through 1 Corinthians, you have a good understanding of who Paul is. If you're just joining us, Paul was a persecutor of the church. His name was Saul, and God called him by name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Radically saved him, and Paul now is an apostle, which means to be sent out, a church planter, a missionary, by the will of God. He knows that It's God's will for him to serve in this capacity. Always does ministry with someone else, and he has Timothy that's traveling with him at this time, a young man, Timothy, our our brother. And this letter is directed to the church of Corinth there in Greece, the second letter that they have received from the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's classic introduction, but it's rich with meaning. Grace is always before peace. As we experience the grace of God, living in his unconditional love and favor and mercy, it results in God's peace in our lives. You never see peace coming before grace. This has been called the Siamese twins of the New Testament. And we're saved by grace, but we continue to live in grace. This morning, we're trusting in the grace of God, which then results in the peace of God. And this grace and peace, it flows from God the Father. In verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To me, this is 
the foundation, it's the backbone of this text, is the relationship between the Father and the Son, and us being welcomed in to sonship, welcomed into being the daughters of God, where we have a heavenly Father. We read here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Trinity is mysterious, but also beautiful. There's aspects to the Trinity that we're not going to fully understand till we get home to be with the Lord. I'm interested to see how the Trinity interacts with each other because we've got one God. We serve one God, but yet inside of that, there's three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In eternity past, the Father and the Son are enjoying relationship. They're enjoying fellowship together, which is hard for us to fathom. We think of all of the time before creation. All of eternity future, they're going to be enjoying fellowship and relationship together. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus is the Word. The Word was with God, with the Father, enjoying that relationship. When Jesus came in human flesh and begins his ministry, he was baptized, surrendering himself to the call of the Father. The Father speaks audibly from heaven. I've often also wondered, what does the voice of the Father sound like? And he says, and he declares, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He wants us to know the love that he has for his Son. Mount of Transfiguration, the other time the Father speaks audibly, he says the same thing. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him, pay attention to him, focus on him. Christ always made sure that he honored the Father. He lived for the glory of the Father, even as a 12-year-old. Mary and Joseph, his parents, lose the Christ child. Talk about a bad day. This preteen, 12-year-old Christ child. You did what? You don't know where Jesus is? You're going to mess up this whole plan. Frantically looking through Christ for Christ throughout Jerusalem as they locate him at the temple, Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. I take my marching orders from the father. At the end of Jesus's life in John 17, he's speaking to the father and he says, Father, would you glorify your son so that I can glorify you? He lived for the glory of the father. Jesus enjoyed the relationship with the father so much that oftentimes throughout his life, he would seek out solitude early in the morning stay up all night just to be able to enjoy that prayer time and that fellowship with the Father. Why this is important to our text is our Father is our source of comfort. Stay with me. It says, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Comfort is a who. Comfort is a person. A person. As we go through sorrow and disappointment and confusion and disenchantment. We're going to go somewhere to seek out comfort, to seek out relief. For us to experience the ultimate comfort, the lasting comfort, the true and genuine comfort, it's in our relationship with the Father. Jesus enjoyed that relationship with the Father through his death and resurrection. We are the children of God. John writes that 
It's been given to us the right to be called the children of God. And so we're able to then bring our disappointments to the Lord and allow him to then bring us comfort as our father of mercy. It's a who. And he is the God of all comfort. Maybe the most important thing about you is what you think about God first thing in your mind. On your mind, what do you think about God? And do you think of God as a father of mercy? Or do you think of him as one of judgment? One who's just waiting to bring that harsh hand against you. Hopefully you understand that you have a father of mercy. In Psalms 103, verse 13 and 14, it says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Our expectation of ourselves might be far greater than God's expectation for us. We're really surprised when we fail and God's like, you guys are dirt clods. I love you, but you're, you're dirt clods. And he has compassion on us the way that a father has compassion upon a child. He's the father of mercy. He's sympathetic. In context, it's our suffering. And in our suffering, he is sympathetic towards our suffering. So here's the promise. Who comforts us in all of our tribulation. Focus, underline, highlight the word all. All of our tribulation. What is so grand about this promise is that there is no trial, there is no difficulty that's greater than our Father's ability to comfort. As we go through difficulty, sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? It feels like our difficulty, our our challenge, is greater than God's ability to comfort. But here it's declared that he's able to comfort us in all of our tribulation. Corey Ten Boom, who lived through the Holocaust, went to a concentration camp Her father was killed. Her sister was killed. She said this, there's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. That pit of the Holocaust, that pit of the concentration camp, and she found God's love, her father's mercy, to be greater than that difficulty that she went through. This is the promise of God. With every trial that we go through, with every sorrow that we go through, there is the potential for us to receive the comfort of our Father. This is the redeeming aspect of suffering. You may look back at some point of suffering in your life and go, man, I would never want to go through that again, but I'm so glad that I did because I got to understand my Father's love for me in a greater way. This is really personal. This passage is really personal for me uh, this year. This year has been, I think, probably the toughest year of my life that I've gone through so far. And it hasn't been because of COVID. COVID's presented its fair share of challenges. But honestly, COVID's really low on my list uh, this year. The challenge began for me April 17th when I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I, I knew very little of this disease until I got diagnosed with it. I was really sick through January, February, March, um, 
By the time I went into the hospital, I'd lost 20, 25 pounds. I don't have 20 or 25 pounds to lose. Was drinking water like a madman, was really on the brink of going into coma because I didn't know that I wasn't producing insulin. My body doesn't produce insulin anymore. It's an autoimmune uh, disease. And those first few months, May, June, July, of getting used to the regimen of this disease, you don't know how much insulin exactly you're supposed to take because everybody's body is different. So the doctors do a good job of trying to give you the right amount of, of insulin, but the only way to really figure that out is to hit the wall a few times. And I definitely hit the wall a few times and struggled and battled and struggled and, and battled. And thankfully now it's, it's going much better. There, there's much more management over my blood sugars and I, I feel a lot better. And just as of August and into September, life has started to, to normalize. But also in June and July, for whatever reason, my whole digestion was just wrecked. And mentally, that just put me over the edge. It was like, man, I've already got to deal with this insulin and giving myself shots. And now digestion's this huge problem. And my doctor tells me that celiac often comes with type 1. They're sisters. Great. So you get type 1, but then you also get celiac. So I had to get tested for celiac because they're all in this autoimmune family and your autoimmune system has been, been, been wrecked. And thankfully, I, I didn't have celiac and my digestion is, is, is much better. But in July, I was in the midst of, of all of this and the grief and the sorrow just, it came out. It had been building over uh, several months. And I just, I told Amber, I was like, I need, I need to go upstairs. I was just overwhelmed. So I go into our room and man, it just, it just came out this volcano of of grief and and sorrow. And I want to tell you at that moment that it was like all the spiritual things came back to mind and I received all this comfort. But that's not what happened. It was just the raw emotion of frustration. But later that evening as I was going to bed, laying in bed, pretty tired, pretty exhausted, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to try to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I began, Our Father. And I couldn't get past it. I couldn't get past Our Father to go on to the rest of the Lord's Prayer. And it was in that moment that God comforted me with the reality that He's my dad. And I felt His embrace and felt that assurance of, Eric, I'm going to get you through this. Throughout my relationship with the Lord, it's always been difficult to relate to God as a father. And I really don't know why. Because I have a great dad. I have about the best dad you could have on the planet. He loves the Lord. I have tremendous memories with my dad. But yet, to have God be as personal as my dad is to me, there's, there's been a disconnect. It's easier for me to call God Lord than to call him Father. And I've got to tell you, it's the pain in my life. It's the, the difficulty. It's this type 1 diabetes and the ongoing struggle of it that's brought me deeper into my father's love. Now, if I could change things in my life, I would take away type one. I would. But I'm thankful for it because it's allowing me to experience God as my father in a deeper way. And I know many of you are suffering. And I know some of you suffer with health stuff. And I've got a greater appreciation for what many of you you go through. Some of you may be suffering in the area of finances. 
Some it's relationships. It just feels like it's one relationship after another where there's rejection and, and there's sorrow. Some of you have had trauma from your, your childhood. We all go through trials in this life. We all go through sorrow in this life. But I do want to encourage you. There's a redemptive side to the struggle that you're going through. And that is to be able to experience your father's love. He's able to comfort you. He's the God of all comfort. And press into him being your father. Take that sorrow, take that disappointment and put it into his hands and talk it over with him and allow him to comfort you in a way that only a father can. Notice what happens as we go on, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Comfort's to be shared. God doesn't want to simply make us comfortable, but he wants to turn us into comforters. And as we go through trial and we go through difficulty, it causes us to be more compassionate and aware to those who are suffering around us. The amazing thing about verse 4 is we can comfort others who are going through even different types of trial. Oftentimes we think, well, if I haven't walked through the exact difficulty that they've gone through, I can't be a comforter to them. But that's not true. That's not what verse 4 tells us. And I don't know that anybody's suffering is ever completely alike. Even two people that have lost their spouse. There's some mutual understanding, but the circumstances are different. The way their spouse passed away, the relationship they had with their spouse, when their their spouse passed away. So how can we comfort someone if we haven't walked in their shoes? Because we understand pain and we understand the source of comfort and we get to come alongside of them and point them to the Father. As I've journeyed through this this year and it's been the first health challenge that I've, I've ever had, it's changed the way that I do hospital visits. I've been pastoring for a long time. I started when I was 21 years old done a lot of hospital visits. And I look back at some of those hospital visits and I could have done them better. Because after going through this and now doing hospital visits, I find myself spending a lot more time and being willing to sit. I always felt like I was a little bit of an inconvenience at a, at a hospital visit. I'm in the way, want to allow them to rest, give the family that they would need, so kind of slip in and, and slip out. And after being in the hospital those, those two days, it helped me to understand if somebody wants me to sit with them, then I'm willing to sit. And I'm simply willing to, to listen. The ironic thing is, is I've visited several people in the same room that I was in. That's the life of a pastor. Like, we know hospitals. I know the best place to park, the quickest way to get in. You know, you see people that work at the hospital. And I have spent time in that room as a patient, or excuse me, as a pastor, now as a patient. And it's very different being a patient. As you go in as a pastor, you get to leave whenever you want. And you don't have to eat the food. You don't have to wear the silly gown and all those, those types of, of things. So it's caused me to be more in a place of patience, in a place of listening, a place to offer prayer. How have you been comforted by God and others as you've gone through difficulty? When we've gone through difficulty, it causes us to not be the Bible answer man to someone else when they're going through suffering. Hear me out on this, but when someone's life has been devastated, 
by trial and difficulty, it's not the time to quote your favorite verse to them and tell them to snap out of it. It's not the time to look at them and go, don't you know Romans 8, 28? All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Snap out of it. And then take your Bible and walk back to your car and go, man, aren't I a grad good comforter? Aren't they so glad that I came and visited them? No, you're one of Job's buddies. You're one of Job's friends, right? And Job's friends thought they were so helpful in Job's suffering, but, but they weren't. A lot of times comfort is listening, isn't it? Just simply listening, letting someone vent, praying for them, meeting a pac- practical need. But as we go through suffering, we don't want to focus on our suffering. We want to look around who's suffering around us and how we can be a source of encouragement to them. There is a trap inside of suffering where all we do is think about how hard our life is. And we fail to see how other people are suffering around us. I heard a devotional this week of a ranger, an army ranger. And if you know about the rangers, they're, they're intense warriors with intense training. The training that they go through is unreal. Sleep deprivation, food deprivation. And this particular ranger was trying to get through his, his training. And he said him and his friends would would take some of their instant coffee, roll it up in a piece of toilet paper, and stick it inside of their, their lip just to try to stay awake. But of course, they ran out of coffee. And what he found helped him be able to get through this was to think about his fellow soldiers, to think about what they were going through and try to help them through. And as he tried to help them, then in turn, he was helped as well. And as we share and we comfort others, we in turn are, are comforted. So, so take what you've received from the Lord and pass it on to uh, someone else. In verse 5, For as the suffering of Christ abounds in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So comfort's in proportion to suffering. As we go through suffering, there is that opportunity to have the encouragement of Christ to abound in us. Without the suffering, there isn't going to be the encouragement from Christ. So we have the comfort of the Father and we have the encouragement of Jesus. Jesus knows suffering. He knows rejection. He knows physical pain upon the cross. As we suffer, then we're able to fellowship with Christ in his suffering. That was actually a prayer of the Apostle Paul's. But without the suffering, there isn't the opportunity to experience the comfort of Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, It's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Paul knew that the body was going to be encouraged through his suffering. Isn't that ironic, right? So fellow believers, as we suffer, are going to be encouraged. As we witness somebody else's life who's going through a hard time, And they hold on to Christ. More importantly, Christ holds on to them. And we see a tangible expression of the reality of the strength of Christ through their suffering. When Lazarus rose from the dead, it says that they came to see Jesus and Lazarus. People wanted to see the work that Christ had done in Lazarus' life. Think of your suffering as your stage. Think of your suffering as an opportunity to get a message out to believers and to unbelievers. That's when people are paying attention to the most. 
not necessarily to our words, but they're watching how are we going to respond to suffering. And Paul knew that the church would be encouraged through his suffering. In verse 7, our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will be partakers of the consolation. Paul knows that the church of Corinth is going to suffer. Isn't it overwhelming sometimes to think about those that you love and know that they're going to have their own set of sufferings and disappointments in this life? That can be overwhelming. It's overwhelming as a, as a parent. It's overwhelming as a, a friend. It's overwhelming as a son thinking of it in regards to your parents. And Paul says he has hope even though he knows the church of Corinth is going to go through suffering because that suffering is going to provide the opportunity for them to know the comfort of Christ. And we need to have that confident expectation too for those that we love. Okay, God, I know my kids are going to have suffering in their lives. It's part of this experience, this side of of heaven. But in that suffering, it's going to give them opportunity to know you. And it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. So that's the place that we need to land when we're thinking about our loved one's suffering. In verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. Some of that trouble is recorded for us in the book of Acts, what Paul went through in Ephesus, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Paul has the courage here to be honest about how difficult the struggle was. That they were at their max. They're burdened beyond measure, above strength, even to the point where they despair of life. I would encourage you as you walk through suffering, as difficult as it is, be honest about it in the appropriate places. It's easy for us to feel like true strength is to put the mask on, say, oh, I'm doing fine. Everything's good. I got this under control, but we may be dying inside. And with family and friends and those trusted people inside of the body of Christ to be able to say, you know, I'm really overwhelmed here. Could you pray for me? This is more than I have the strength to be able to deal with. If the Apostle Paul was willing to do that, I think it's a good model for us as well. Because as we bring things to the light, as we allow one another to bear our burdens, God provides comfort. He provides strength and he provides help. Notice that Paul said he despaired even of life. Paul was at a place where he's like, I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of waking up every morning. I'm tired of going to bed at night. I'm tired of Groundhog's Day and doing it all over again. This is hard. And this is, this is difficult. I am despairing even of life. The great apostle Paul felt that way. And he wasn't the only one. Elijah in the Old Testament stood up against the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, a great victory of God on Mount Carmel. Jezebel sends him a text and says, you're a dead man, I'm gonna kill you. Elijah runs for his life. He gets scared, fear gets the best of him and he takes off into the wilderness and he expresses to God, I just wanna die. I don't wanna live anymore. I'm ready to be non-profit. <laughs> Not a prophet anymore, right? But notice with Paul and also with Elijah is they didn't take their own life. They didn't take their own life. They did not commit suicide. 
they wrestled with a real difficult time where they despaired of life, but it wasn't an option for them to take their own life. We have to understand life belongs to God. God is the one who gave you life. We didn't give ourselves life. He designed us in the womb. Life begins in the womb. That was the Lord's doing. You're made in the image of God. You reflect the image of God. And yes, heaven is grand and heaven is great. And we look forward to heaven. But if we think for any moment that we have the right to end our life here on this earth so that we can go to heaven, that's bad theology. Church, that's murder. If you take your own life, you're, you're committing murder. God doesn't want you to take your own life. And it hurts everyone around you, even people that you'll, you'll never meet. It'll affect them and, and damage them. So if you are wrestling with suicide, one of the big breakthroughs, I think, for believers is if we open up and we share, if we bring it to the light. Share with a close friend. Call in and talk to one of the pastors and say, man, I am thinking about suicide. I'm despairing of life, but I know that it's not what God wants for my life. Would you pray for me? And many times as we bring it to the light, we feel like it's something that we can't talk about and there's going to be all this shame if we share that we're wrestling with, with these things. My heart is broken for the suicide that's happening in our city. These are just a couple of instances that I know of personally that have touched our church. A 13-year-old a few weeks ago took his own life. Didn't go to our church, but through relationship was connected to some of the kids here. 13 years old. 17-year-old this week, young man took his life and committed suicide. Can you imagine for his parents? Can you imagine for his siblings? Can you imagine for his friends? 65-year-old woman in our community, believer, she took her own life this week, 65 years old. And at times, suicide has touched our church, has touched this community of, of believers. I would encourage all of us to pray in this manner, that God would give hope to our community, that God would give hope to, to the body of Christ. Sometimes we don't like to talk about it, the reality of this issue in our city, but our suicide rates are higher than the rest of the country. There's, there's something that's happening here that's worse than, than the rest of the country. So how do we respond as believers? We need to pray. Nehemiah, he wept over the fact that the temple was built in Jerusalem, but there was no walls around the temple. And he prayed for four months just kept it to himself and pleaded with God that God would provide a way to put walls around the temple. Well, the temple now is believers. We're the temple. And unbelievers are potential future temples. Where's the wall around believers? Where's the wall around our young people? How's that wall going to be built up? It's going to be built up through, through prayer. It's going to be built up through that investment. If you find yourself at that place this morning, would you reach out? Reach out to someone. Come and receive prayer at the end of the service. Don't go home. Reach out online. Say, I need prayer. We are having people every week respond 
after services say, I'm wrestling with suicide. Every week, it's definitely up on an uptick. Young adults, 18 to 24, the research shows one in four are having serious thoughts of suicide. We don't want to talk about it, and the enemy's having a field day. So let's bring it to the light. Let's pray for one another. Let's not leave this place if we're wrestling and allow God to bring hope and bring a breakthrough. In verse 9, yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. We do have a death sentence, and our death sentence is we can't do anything in our own strength. We're the branches, He's the vine. The reason we have this death sentence is so that we would trust in God instead of trusting ourselves. Another redemptive fact about suffering is it causes us to be weak to where we trust the Lord. I got to trust the Lord. I realize I don't have the strength in and of myself. And Paul says we have this sentence of death in ourselves so that we would trust in the God who raises the dead. Isn't it a lot better to trust in God who's the God of the resurrection that brings life where there's death instead of trusting in ourselves. Verse 10 is worth highlighting and meditating upon who delivered us from such a great death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Past, present, future, who's delivered us from such a greater death. He saved us from our sins. If you know Christ is your savior, he saved you from your sins. He's already met the greatest need in your life. And we trust that he does deliver us. What's deliverance that God has brought into your life presently? Well, one of the things is, is we're still here. We lived through March and April, right? We lived through quarantine. God delivered us. Have you seen the deliverance of God in your life through the challenges of of COVID? So we trust that he will deliver us in the future. God is going to be faithful in the future. What is it that's out in the future that just terrifies you, that torments you, that causes you to have fear? Fear torments, and we're seeing that in our culture. Fear will absolutely torment us, but perfect love casts out all fear. God's love can dispel fear. So what is it that we're concerned about? to get to a place where we trust that future fear, that future concern into the hands of God, God is gonna deliver us. God is gonna be faithful to see me into heaven, to see me into eternity. Verse 11, you also helping together in our prayers for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Paul is asking for prayer and he's appreciative for prayer. Don't feel bad about asking for prayer. In some ways, it's easier to offer prayer, isn't it? Than to to ask for prayer. Especially important as you go through trial to ask for prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for praying with me through this season as I've walked through the challenges with, with my health. Thank you. It's been so humbling. And I would appreciate your continued prayers. Thank you for praying for our pastoral staff. And please know we're praying for you. We know that this is a a tough time. We're spending time praying over you and praying that God would meet you and he would strengthen you. If you would bear with me in two ways, I'm gonna tie my shoe and then we're gonna take about seven more minutes, okay? uh, 
You can tie your shoe too if you'd like. But So before we go, I want to talk about four things that our Father is and really try to press into this truth of the Father of mercy and Him comforting us in our trial. And the first is, is that our Father is purposeful. He's purposeful. Have you ever witnessed uh, adoption take place? In our current system with foster care and adoption here in the States, it's quite a process. And it should be. Parents having rights terminated, then future parents being chosen. But it's not quick. It's, it's not easy. It's a difficult, it's a lot to work through. If you've ever adopted or you've seen someone adopt, whether it's local or international, it's purposeful. It's intentional. There's been a real call of God and stirring upon hearts for adoption to take place. Our Heavenly Father is the same way. It was in His heart and in His mind to send His Son in order for us to be the children of God. Salvation means that we are the sons and daughters of God. Jesus, when He rose from the dead reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. And he says this to her, hey, don't give me a hug, which is kind of strange. But he's teaching her, it's time to relate to me spiritually, not physically. But then this is what he said. He says, I'm going to my God and your God, to my father and to your father. He accomplished the purpose of the father through his death and resurrection to where Mary Magdalene gets to be the child of God And she gets to enter in to this father relationship. She gets to enjoy the same relationship that Jesus enjoys. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, that's so common to us. We've heard that so much. But when you look at the Old Testament, the children of Israel did not address God as Father. They addressed God as Adonai, Yahweh, the Holy One, the magnificence of of God's power. For the disciples, it would have been a complete shift for them to talk to God as Father and enter into this Father relationship. But that's the purpose of God. That was in the heart of God is He wanted us to be His children and for us to be able to enter in and enjoy that relationship. Brings me to my second point. Our Father is personal. Our Father is personal. I think for you to have victory in receiving the comfort of God in your life, for for me to experience the comfort of God in my life, I have to get personal with my Father. It can't be simply something that I know up here in my head, but for me to allow God to be personal with me as a dad. All of you are children, some of you are parents. Either one of those relationships, as a child or a parent, have you ever had time with your parents or had time with your children where you go, man, the world just feels perfect right now. I just had a great day with one of my kids. Just hanging out, being together, riding bikes, hiking, looking at fall colors. Just got off the phone with mom and dad. It was great to be able to talk to them. The world just, just feels right. How much more so our Heavenly Father where He just longs to have fellowship with us. He longs for us to be close to him, and it's personal. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was crucified, is praying, and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup 
away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus said, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father, as he was wrestling with the cross. We're encouraged in Romans 8, 15, says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Did you catch that? Jesus lives in you, and Jesus is stirring in you to cry out to God as Daddy, as Abba. Could you naturally talk to God as Dad, as Daddy, as Abba? Or does it feel strange? It's always felt strange for me in the past, and it's beginning to feel more normal of Abba, but allow it to be personal. So we've got four kids, and each one of the kids, in the way that they interact with me as dad, has their own way of saying dad. And I know exactly which child it is, and it's part of our closeness. Our oldest daughter, Hannah, she'll be 17 next month. Crazy, 17 next month. When she was an infant, about six months old, we got her out of the car. She's in her car seat, come in the the house, set down the car seat in the family room, getting ready to take her out of the car seat. And she goes, Dada, what? First time I've ever been called Dada and I'm doing cartwheels. I'm like, yeah, that was the best feeling in the world. Like she knows that I'm her, her dad, right? And for us to be able to be personal with God. Dad, you're my dad. You're my father. Please do not project your earthly father on your heavenly father. Doesn't matter if you had a tremendous earthly father or a terrible earthly father. No earthly father can come close to representing our heavenly father. Your dad on this earth is nothing like your your heavenly father. And look at him for who he is and get personal with him. Also, our Father is merciful. He's merciful. We touched on this earlier in the study. But do you believe that your Father is merciful? Do you believe that your Father is is compassionate? That he has mercy towards you? That he has compassion towards you? This is seen with the prodigal son. As the prodigal son went and squandered all the inheritance, as he came back, the Father was compassionate. The Father was, was merciful to him. I've never noticed until this summer In Lamentations 3, as Jeremiah is wrestling with his own suffering, he was at a place of despair as well until he said, I called this to mind, then I had hope. Great is his faithfulness, and his mercies and compassions are new every morning. I've always noticed the mercy, but never noticed the compassion. How good is that, that every morning our Father has fresh mercy for us? It's like, I'm not going to give you the judgment you deserve. But he also has fresh compassion for us. You have a father that's compassionate towards you with the suffering that you're going through. He's merciful towards you. And the last that we see is our father is continual. He is continual. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He loves you with everlasting love. You're never going to face a day in this life without fellowship with your Father. And then you can enter into eternal life where we get to be the joy of being his children for all of eternity, our Father. So as we pray, let's enter into him being our Father. Let's take our suffering, our sorrow, and bring it to our Father.
Would you pray with me? Father, Daddy, we don't understand the suffering that we go through in this life. I don't understand the suffering in my own life, let alone the suffering that we go through collectively as as a body. But we do see from your word that that suffering gives us an opportunity to go deeper in our relationship with you, to experience your love in a greater way. There's no pit where your love is not deeper still. Lord, I pray for those that find themselves overwhelmed, that have lost a child, have lost a spouse, lost finances, experienced rejection, had things go wrong in their health. In a way that only you can, that you would comfort them. You're the God of all comfort. You own comfort. And through that relationship with you as their dad, that they would experience your comfort and in turn be able to comfort others. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.